With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast contains descriptions of violence against children and adult language and is not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Suffer the Little Children, the true crime podcast giving voices back to the victims of child abuse and shining a harsh spotlight on the parents, guardians, and caretakers who silence them. I'm your host, Lane, and this is episode 139, Erica Taylor. On March 21, 2020, three-year-old Erica Taylor arrived at Cook Children's Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas, unresponsive. Shortly after her arrival, she was pronounced dead. Based on her injuries, which included bone fractures and multiple bruises, police did not believe the story they heard from Tony Manns, the live-in boyfriend of Erica's mother and Erica's caretaker at the time she was fatally injured. After Erica's five-year-old sister told investigators what she witnessed, Tony was arrested and charged with capital murder of a person under 10. This is the story of a funny, sweet little girl with a huge, sunny personality whose family feels her loss every day. It's also the story of a bully of a man who got away with the murder of a toddler with a mere slap on the wrist. You'll also hear my conversation with Erica's paternal grandmother, Andrea Cookie Harris, an amazing lady who is devoted to keeping her granddaughter's memory alive. This is the heartbreaking story of Erica Taylor. First up, a huge thank you to my new patron, Ariel D. from Lakewood, Colorado. Thank you also to Amanda H. from Peterborough, Ontario, Tracy C. from Rohnert Park, California, and Liz C. from Mount Olympus. Thank you all so much for your support, without which I couldn't keep this podcast going. If you'd like to make a pledge, you can visit patreon.com slash stlcpod. I covered Erica's story on Suffer the Little Children blog back in 2020, but there have been exactly zero news updates since then. This is another case where there was next to no news coverage to begin with, and literally none after the initial reports. Stories like this are the reason I insist on providing updates whenever possible on the stories I've covered. 
The outcomes of these cases matter, and these kids deserve to be remembered beyond the horrific headlines. With that, I'll get into Erica's story. At the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic in 2020, Cook Children's Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas, saw a spike in child abuse injuries they attributed to stresses from the COVID-19 pandemic. Between March 17th and April 23rd of 2020, nine children, ages four or younger, were admitted to the Fort Worth Children's Hospital for child abuse injuries, and three of those children died of their injuries. Cook Children's typically sees an average of six child abuse deaths in an entire year. Two of those children died at the hospital on the same day. At 10.38 a.m. on Saturday, March 21, 2020, four-year-old Stetson Blackburn was declared brain-dead two days after arriving at the hospital. I covered Stetson's story on the blog in 2020 as well, but I plan to tell his story on the podcast someday with the help of his family. After Stetson was hospitalized, his mother, Shannon Gray, and her girlfriend, Raina Sanchez, admitted to physically abusing Stetson, giving him what they called an ass-whooping for supposedly lying to them. Stetson's death was ruled a homicide caused by blunt force trauma with complications, and four months after Stetson died, both women were charged with capital murder of a person under 10. The second child to die on Saturday, March 21, 2020, was three-year-old Erica Taylor. Just a few weeks after Stetson and Erica's deaths, on Easter Sunday of 2020, three-year-old Amari Boone died at Cook Children's Hospital after suffering fatal blunt force injuries while quarantined in the care of his foster fathers, Deondrick Foley and Joseph M. Delancey II. I've covered Amari's story on the podcast in both episode 12 and minisode number 2, Amari's Life Mattered, which I released after his foster fathers were finally arrested on pitiful charges of injury to a child. To this day, neither has been charged with murder, and neither of their cases has yet been resolved. Both men were quickly released on bail, despite being obvious flight risks. Of the three children who died at Cook Children's during that five-week period, Erica's has received the least media coverage by far, a total of three articles as a matter of fact. The first was a piece in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram reporting Erica's death. The other two were published in October of 2020 by the Star-Telegram and 5 NBC DFW, both of which reported on the arrest that was made that month in Erica's case. Now, let's start at the beginning. On the afternoon of Saturday, March 21, 2020, three-year-old Erica arrived at Cook Children's unresponsive, not breathing, and without a pulse. Shortly after her arrival, at 2.08 p.m., she was pronounced dead. Based on Erica's injuries, which included a fractured right arm and bruising to both her lower right abdomen and the left side of her face, medical personnel contacted the Fort Worth Police, whose Crimes Against Children Unit, CACU, responded to the hospital to investigate. An emergency room doctor told Detective Bradley Cantu that Erica's injuries were consistent with physical abuse. An arrest affidavit later described the condition of Erica's body in the emergency room, where she lay on her back, intubated through the mouth, wrapped in a white blanket, and wearing a neck brace. She had bruises on her face, shin, and hip, as well as behind her ear. At the time of her injuries, Erica was in the care of her mother's boyfriend, 24-year-old Tony Manns, who goes by the nickname of Trey, and whose now-deactivated Facebook profile was under the name Eastwood Trey Trey. Erica and her two siblings, an infant brother and an older sister, 
lived in the house at 4417 Chaparral Creek Drive with their mother, her boyfriend, and his mother and grandmother. Although Erica's mother, identified by the Fort Worth Police Department as 23-year-old Angelica Ochoa, was at work when the fatal incident occurred. Tony told police that earlier that day, he had prepared a sausage biscuit for Erica's breakfast, but because she would only nibble on it, he was going to punish her by making her stand in a corner. Before he could do that, he said, he heard a thud from the bathroom, where he found Erica had fallen from the counter. When he helped her stand up, Erica told him her arm hurt, so he had her rotate it and squeezed both of her arms, ostensibly to test for injuries. He asked if she was okay, and Erica replied, I'm okay. He told the detective that not long after that incident, Erica began acting listless and felt hot to the touch. Soon afterward, she became unresponsive. After Erica's death, an autopsy was performed by Dr. Richard Fries, Tarrant County Deputy Medical Examiner. Dr. Fries determined Erica had suffered from a multitude of blunt force injuries, the most severe of which was a laceration to her liver. In his opinion, Erica's death was consistent with blunt force trauma to the abdomen. He said it was possible but very unlikely that Erica could have sustained her arm fracture by falling from a three-foot counter, which would require a significant amount of force. Dr. Fries felt the story given by Tony Manns was not consistent with Erica's injuries and ruled her death a homicide due to multiple blunt force injuries. For a time after Erica died, her mom, Angelica, believed Tony's story about what happened, at least until her five-year-old daughter, who I'll call A, told her what she had seen and heard in the house the day her little sister was killed. In a public Facebook post clearly aimed at Tony, Angelica wrote, I loved you. We loved you. If you didn't feel the same, you could have said that, and maybe my daughter would have still been here. You pretended too fucking good, that even after I still loved you. I literally couldn't imagine in my mind you doing something this horrible. But for my five-year-old to tell me what she saw and what she heard being done to her sister, there was no more trying to find a different scenario or outcome. It happened. He did it. I didn't want to believe it, but I'll be damned if I don't believe it straight out my daughter's mouth. In an earlier post, she wrote, I wanted to be wrong. He was my best friend. Police also interviewed Erica's five-year-old sister, A, who said that on the day her sister died, Erica was sent for a timeout in Tony's bedroom for not eating her cereal. She said Tony gave Erica a whooping, striking her buttocks with a belt. A said she heard her little sister crying and her mother's boyfriend yelling at her, saying, Don't pee on yourself, don't scratch, don't pick, and make sure you eat that food. A told police that Tony was yelling so loudly that she covered her ears. Later, she said, she noticed Erica wasn't feeling well and saw that Erica vomited milk and was having trouble talking. When Erica became unresponsive, A said, Tony tried in vain to wake her. Tony, A said, had also whooped Erica with a belt in the past and would step on her when she misbehaved. She explained that he would step on Erica's belly for not taking a nap or step on her back for kicking his legs. He had also stepped on Erica for misbehaving or wetting her pants. According to a Facebook post from the Fort Worth Police Department on October 16, 2020, five search warrants were ultimately carried out for cell phone records and social media accounts. At the family's house, police found a black blanket stained with what appeared to be vomit in the center of Tony's bed, as well as traces of blood in the bathroom sink, in the bathtub, and on the pallet Erica shared with another person. Several months after Erica's death, Detective Cantu interviewed Tony again on August 18th, asking the man if another child might have seen something that could have been interpreted as a whooping. 
Tony insisted he had not beaten Erica, saying, I'm 6'4", 200 and something pounds. I wear a fucking size 13 shoe. If I did that to the fucking two of them, it would be something else. Like you could fucking tell. No, dude. No. In the meantime, for months following Erica's death, members of her family made countless posts on social media, demanding justice for their beloved little girl. Many called for the arrests of the three people they felt were responsible. Tony Mance, as well as his mother and his grandmother, both of whom were evidently present at the home at the time of Erica's death. According to many, after the death of his girlfriend's daughter, Tony Mans cut his hair and changed his style of dress to avoid being recognized. In a Facebook post, Erica's mother, Angelica, mentioned that A told her exactly what Tony did to her sister, to which Tony's mother, Raquel Denise Vaughn McDowell, responded that A need to stop lying. Another possible indication that Raquel knew something was awry was a direct message she sent to Angelica about 10 minutes before Angelica received the phone call on March 21st telling her that Erica was in an ambulance. It's highly suspicious that she would send such a message when Erica was, without a doubt, already fatally injured. The message read, You have to go find somewhere else to go because Trey and my mama just got into it really bad behind you, and he threw something at her in the kitchen and tore some stuff up and said a lot of mean, hateful stuff to her. We are not having this problem before I let you come stay here, and my mom was already upset because you were only supposed to be here a couple of weeks, and it's turned into something longer, so right now, with me not working, my mom is the one going in her money can for all these bills, so she pack up and leave, there's nobody here to pay all of these bills. In addition to that weirdness, members of Erica's family have said that Tony and his mother didn't particularly care for Angelica's daughters, but they seemed to harbor an unhealthy interest in her infant son, who was not Tony's biological child. Photos posted on Raquel's Facebook profile of Tony, Raquel, and just the baby, but none including Erica and her sister, seemed to bear that out. Neither Raquel nor Tony's grandmother ever faced charges in relation to Erica's abuse or death. Time for a quick word from my sponsors. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. During the months following Erica's murder, her family grew increasingly fed up with the lack of an arrest. In September of 2020, Erica's paternal grandmother, Andrea Cookie Harris, posted in a true crime discussion group on Facebook, writing, On March 21, 2020, my granddaughter, Erica Taylor, was beaten to death in southwest Fort Worth while two other adults, his mother and grandmother, in the house, stood by and did nothing to stop him. She was only three. The murderer has not been arrested. What is it going to take to get justice for this precious baby girl? 
On October 4, 2020, a Facebook page called Gabriel's Tree, a tribute to abused, missing, and murdered children, posted a powerful, visceral statement from Cookie, who Erica called Yaya. March 21st was the worst day of my life. My son's children were being held from him and my family. Their mother decided to keep them away from him. It had been eight to nine months since the last time I had seen my grandchildren. On March 21st, my son called me in a complete panic, saying a CPS lady called him upon her finding out that my son was Erica's biological father. She proceeded to give him an address and asked him to go there. I immediately took off and headed to the given address as I was three minutes away. My son called again, asking where I was, and told me to hurry. I began to panic. I asked what was going on, and he proceeded to tell me that he was not allowed to tell me what was going on over the phone. When I pulled up to the Child Advocacy Center in Fort Worth and walked in, I instantly saw my two grandchildren, but not Erica. I started to cry, as they are the air that I breathe. I noticed that my oldest granddaughter looked horrible. She was so small. A lady walked up to me, and I had asked her where Erica was, and she said she would tell me, but she was going to take me to my son first. We walked down the hallway, and she enters a room where I see my son. He lifts his head, and I instantly know that there is something wrong. I begin to panic again, and the CPS caseworker tells me to please calm down and that she would explain what happened. I kept asking where Erica was as I began to get louder and louder. She tells me we're going to talk outside, and I agree. We all, including my son, head outside, and the caseworker begins to talk about stuff I am not interested in. I keep interrupting her, and now I am getting mad because I need to know where my granddaughter is. My son tells the caseworker that I am not going to hear or listen to her until she tells me where Erica is, and then my son asks her if he can tell me. Fear and anxiety hit as I begin to repeat, tell me what, over and over. She agrees to let him tell me, and my son looks at me with sadness and hurt in his eyes, and says, she's gone, mom. I reply, gone where? Did someone take her? Gone where? Where is she? And my son says, mom, look at me. She's gone. My baby is dead. I must have blanked out at that moment because I don't remember what happened after that. I later find out that I collapsed, and when I came around again, I was screaming and took off running. I guess once I calmed down enough for the caseworker to talk to me, I remember her telling me that Erica was rushed to the Cook Children's Hospital with multiple injuries and that the medic tried to resuscitate her for 35 minutes before heading to the hospital to pronounce her dead. We were told all the bones in her arms were broken, she had head trauma and bruises, and I later found out she was hemorrhaging from her liver. I felt like a piece of my soul had left me. The hurt was and still feels unbearable. Why? Who would beat her like that? Why? She did not deserve that. My life felt like it was ending. We were later told from info gathered that Erica's mother's boyfriend beat her to death and that his mother and grandmother were also present when it happened. Why did they allow this to happen? Monsters. Sick, twisted, murdering monsters. Erica was a smart, funny, and strong-willed, determined child. She was loved by her brothers and sisters, and she dearly loved them back. She was also daddy's girl, for sure. On April 9th, I was told that Erica's death was ruled a homicide, but to this day, no arrests have been made? I want answers, and Erica deserves justice. Why are these murderers just walking around, free? A Change.org petition demanding justice for Erica from the Fort Worth Police Department ultimately garnered over 1,300 signatures. On October 13, 2020, almost eight months after Erica's murder, an arrest warrant was finally issued for Tony Don Manns.
He was arrested by the Fort Worth Police Department's Fugitive Unit on Wednesday, October 14, 2020, and booked into the Tarrant County Lawn Evans Correctional Center. He was charged with capital murder of a person under 10 years of age. If convicted, Tony faced either life in prison without parole or the death penalty. On October 15, 2020, Angelica posted the Star Telegram article on Facebook, along with the comment, This is what my five-year-old told me. This is what happened. It had been happening. Every parent's worst nightmare, bro. These are my babies. I'm so fucking sorry, Erica. This shit's so surreal. Y'all don't know the half of what I'm going through. I loved him. I believed him. I was at work. I don't know how the fuck y'all handle y'all's kids when they tell y'all things, but I can't make the shit up, bro. I got MFs coming to me saying shit like A was coached to say shit. Bro, shut the fuck up. My baby wouldn't lie. If y'all child came to you and told you these things, and her story was consistent for months, that should say something. Y'all might not believe y'all's kids, but nah, man. My daughter knows what the fuck she's talking about. He took her best friend. A friend of Cookie's set up a GoFundMe campaign in September of 2020 to raise funds for a headstone. It quickly raised 100% of its $1,200 goal. Erica now has a flat stone marker with an image of a little angel on the lower left and sunflowers on the bottom right. The inscription reads, Our beloved daughter, Erica Kivon Marche Taylor, 2016-2020. I absolutely hate that I have to report this next part. On March 9, 2023, just a couple of weeks before the third anniversary of Erica's death, the Tarrant County Criminal District Attorney's Office changed Tony's charge from capital murder of a person under 10 to a first-degree felony charge of murder. In exchange for his guilty plea, Tony was sentenced to just 15 years in prison. He is apparently still being held by the Tarrant County Sheriff's Office, but it's unclear where he will serve the rest of his sentence. According to Cookie, her son, Erica's father, was not notified directly about the plea deal. She found out through an acquaintance and let him know that his little girl's killer could be out walking the streets in just a few years. Again, there was absolutely no news about Erica's case published after the initial news stories about Tony's arrest, not even after his slap-on-the-wrist plea deal was signed. I even reached out to the Fort Worth media outlets who initially published stories about Erica to let them know about the case's resolution, but to date, there has been no follow-up in the media. This is exactly why this podcast exists. One of the main reasons I started my blog and later the podcast was because I had long before noticed the huge disparity in the media treatment of murdered children. The few that were talked about dominated the headlines for months or even years, but those who, for whatever reason, weren't deemed worthy of becoming media darlings were all but ignored. That's why I very rarely cover well-known, well-publicized stories, although I get requests for them constantly. If a case has been covered extensively already, I usually choose not to feature it, because there are so many other children, like Erica, whose stories haven't been told yet. Erica deserves to be remembered, and I'm honored to help her family keep her memory alive. To that end, I had the privilege of speaking with Erica's grandma, Cookie Harris, this past weekend. You'll hear my conversation with this incredibly strong woman and adoring grandma after this quick sponsor break. Today, I'm talking with Erica's grandmother, Andrea Harris. Hi, it's nice to speak with you finally. Hello, nice to speak with you as well. 
How often did you get to see your granddaughters? Well, before we were unable to see them and they were hidden, we saw them all the time. I got to see them anytime I wanted to, whether it was a weekend, weekday, whenever. That's wonderful. You got to have a, a great relationship with them at least. Yes, yes. And and my mother and Erica, oh my goodness. <laughs> what did she call your mom? She called my mom Granny and they called me Yaya. Oh, that's so sweet. So they had lots of good times with you guys. That's excellent. Yes, yes. A lot of love. Oh, my gosh. Erica was so amazing. She was so funny. She was smart. She was very headstrong, <laughs> feisty, goofy. Oh, my goodness. Just, you never know what you were going to get with her. Like, <laughs> Oh, that's so fun. She was just so amazing and just lit up a room anywhere she was. She just lit up a room because her personality was so strong, her I mean, she had so much love. It's so indescribable just to see her and just to watch her and to see her smile and laugh. And it was amazing. It was beautiful. I am grateful for the time I watch. I look at pictures of her all the time, pretty much every day. I look at videos that we have. Um, my youngest son has so many videos and little snaps of him and Erica being goofy and it's beautiful, you know, that, that we still can, you know, enjoy those memories. Um, because I don't want to remember the horrific thing that happened. I just, you know, I want to remember her as she was and the beautiful, precious angel that she is. So every day, you know, on my social media, I post my sunflowers for her. Her favorite flower was a sunflower. Her favorite color was yellow, you know, and she was a ray of sunshine anyway. So that, that was just like perfect. Yep, it seems like it fits. <laughs> so how did it come about that you weren't able to see them? Tony did not want my son seeing his children. So I guess, you know, their mother agreed to it. They took the children off to wherever. We had no idea where they were. Um, we didn't know what school that my oldest granddaughter was registered at. You know, then we found out and then it was like, you know, the trail went cold again until that horrible phone call. And how long was that? Did you not see them? Um, Almost nine months. That's just the part I didn't understand. You know, um, there was so much support and love, even for their mother. You know, um, at one time, you know, I was very close to her, took care of her while she was pregnant. And my son was in West Texas. I would drive her there every weekend. She lived with me through her pregnancy. I don't even understand. You know, she had more love and support for my family than her own. And for her to allow someone to talk her into not letting my son see his children is ridiculous. It definitely sounds like Tony might have had kind of a domineering personality and needed control over the whole situation. I mean, just based on everything that transpired. Yes. And, you know, him and his mother had a very sick obsession with my grandson. Even still to this day, you know, he has a picture of my grandson in his cell and saying it's his son. And I don't understand. And, and even his mother, you know, is still telling people that that's her grandson. And it was just, it's, it was sickening. It was, it was beyond sickening. That was a very weird detail in there. Is he your son's son as well? Or yes. Oh no. All three of them. It's my son's children. Oh, that's just so odd that he would take ownership of just the one, you know, and, and to me, that's a red flag anyway. You know, what mother would allow her significant other or whomever, if it's not the father or mother, who would allow another individual to dictate that or to show favoritism to one of your children. I saw Facebook, Instagram, their Insta his Instagram was full of him and my son and his mother. The lie and the, the cover up that she was portraying, it was just ridiculous. 
And what mother would be proud of her son murdering a three-year-old? It's very strange. She seems to have this, this kind of infatuation with the boys in her life. It's very odd. I don't understand it. And then for her and her mother, they were both present. They were both present, both present the entire time and didn't even render aid, didn't even render aid to my granddaughter or even call for an ambulance till hours later. See, I don't understand that just as a human being in general. I don't even understand why his mother and grandmother are free. No, the uh, criminal district attorney's office doesn't seem to be all that concerned about getting true justice for these kids. No, just whatever time they could give someone, oh, you know, they did their job. No, technically you didn't because honestly, I did your job. You didn't even, there was no arrest made until I started making noise and then having everyone call the DA and asking questions. I had someone from the news station even calling, asking why has he not been arrested? And finally in October, he was arrested. Capital murder of a child under 10. That's what Tony was originally charged with. Yes, I don't know what his plea was. I don't know what the plea deal was. I'm sure it's not capital murder because that holds more weight and more years. So I don't know what he received. 15 years for horribly beating my granddaughter to death. And lying about it and his family lying about it. Right. And he has a history of being volatile. So I just don't understand. I mean, even towards his mother and grandmother, he was violent. Let me tell you something. I love my children. I love both my sons. I would give my life for either one of them and my grandchildren. There is no way that I could sit by and allow one of them to even raise their voice the wrong way at a child, let alone kill one and me and me go along with it. There's no way. I just try to keep my grandbaby, you know, her memory alive every day because she deserves that. My other grandchildren deserve that, especially her sister, the one that had to witness it all. I hope she's getting the help she needs, that poor thing. Yes, ma'am. But it's very hard. And, you know, I've had her afterwards and, you know, she would wake up in the middle of the night screaming and crying and, you know, and I would just hold her and she would just tell me how much she missed Erica and how she missed her best friend. And once I would soothe her, I would just go outside on my patio and just cry and you know, because that's a hurt that I can't, I can't heal her from. That's a hurt that I can't heal my son from. And every day that I see my son and I look at him, I see the hurt. And as a mother, the way that I love my children as a mother, that really hurts me every day, you know, that I can't soothe him. I can't ease his pain. I can't take that away from him. I can't, there's nothing I can do because he doesn't have his daughter, you know? And then you know, when he does get her other two siblings, I can't imagine what's going through his mind at that time because he knows there's supposed to be his daughter is supposed to be his be there. Erica's supposed to be there. And that's why I don't I don't understand how that was allowed to happen. You know, as a mother, I don't understand how that's allowed to happen, because if my sons blink the wrong way, breathe the wrong way, whatever, I am on top of what's going on. You know, so I don't I don't understand. I like I can't as a mother, I cannot wrap that around my head. I just I can't. And and he was abusive to her. So why would you allow yourself in that situation, let alone your children? And then you leave my granddaughters with this man and his mother. You know, they didn't even want to feed my grandchildren. You know, it was a problem if they were hungry. And I know food was kind of the impetus for the last it was, incident, which is horrible. You know, because she didn't want to eat breakfast. She's three. Like, come on. Kids are finicky. You know, they know when they're hungry. They know when they want to eat. You know, we've never had any limitations on, you know, when they eat or or how much they eat or, 
that's just what kids do. And they don't always like everything, that's for sure. Right, right. It'll never stop shocking me how often these horrible things happen over food or potty training accidents. Those are the two things with kids this little. How can you hold that against them, let alone do the things that these people do? Exactly, exactly. I just can't. There's no words for that. They're innocent. If you don't have the patience to endure, that's when you dismiss yourself. If you need to take a breath and step back and regroup and regain yourself, then you do that. But you don't take something like that out on a child. It just goes to the seeking of help and the the stigma on mental health and addiction and those type of things. And we just, as a society, got to fight much harder and stick together. You know, it's just the divide is ridiculous. And now we feel like we don't have any, any closure. Especially since you, you're an afterthought learning about this. Right. Because when I heard it, I was when the, the person that told me, I was like, what do you mean? And so then I go and look him up and then I can't see him, you know, in the county where he was. And then I have to do all this research and figure out where he is. And then I find out where he is. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. That's, that's not the way you should be finding this out. There's supposed to be victims advocates helping you the whole way through this. I mean, you, your son, you're all victims. They have, we haven't had anything. It's like it happened and, okay, next. That's the way I feel, and that's, that's horrible. You know, I advocate myself for families and children, and I just don't understand. I don't understand as a, as a society, where did we fall off? And, you know, what bothers me is that there's no accountability for these people that we have voted into positions and, you know, they don't use their platform for what it should be used for. And it's horrible. So I see why, to a degree, why society has fallen, because these people that we put in place and we voted for and that, you know, we have our trust in, they have been allowed to repeatedly let us down, not have accountability. Where did that come from? Like, what makes that okay? A huge part of the problem, I think, is government immunity, because that's the whole reason a lot of CPS individuals who should probably be up on charges don't get charged. A lot of accountability gets dropped. We had an, an amazing woman that was with the CPS, and the things that we heard, I was like, that's just not okay. To me, personally, CPS played a huge part in my granddaughter's death, a huge part. That happens too often. It really does. I know it's not the individual workers for the most part. It's systemic, but it's still so frustrating when things like that can be prevented. And they can. You know, it's sad that pretty much in any industry, there's just not enough people, you know, and then you get these CPS workers, you know, and there are good ones out there. You know, I'm not saying that it's not a good thing, but to a degree, some of these workers are allowed just to fill in paperwork. You know, you don't even lay your eyes on a child, but you fill in paperwork and, and that's okay. That just doesn't strike me as okay at all. You should have to lay eyes on that child, especially if there's concerns. Right. And then these parents that are amazing parents and have some fluke or somebody upset that calls in on them, they get their child taken. But the children that are, are, are genuinely in an abusive situation, you leave them with their guardian, their parent. Like, I don't, I, it's so backwards. It needs to be rebuilt from the ground up. It does. Yes, it does. I just pray that it doesn't get to a point where there's no other alternative but that because it's getting worse. As society, it's getting worse and worse and worse. 
I'm trying to put together at some point a coalition of parents and family members like you who have lost children to issues from CPS. And and I think a large group of voices is definitely going to be louder than individual people trying from here and there. So I'll definitely keep you in mind when that gets off the ground. I would love that. I would love that. And, you know, I have a great appreciation for you and the way that you have stood by me and my family and Erica there's no words that I can honestly say the gratitude that I have for you, like keeping her memory alive and, you know, reaching out to me and checking up on me and my family. And from my, the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you. And I do appreciate you and all that you have done and that you continue to do because it does make a difference. It's my honor. It really is. I mean, she deserves to be remembered. And that little face, I, I don't know how anyone could take a look at that little face and feel anything other than just enormous, overwhelming love. She's just so sweet and precious. I'm so happy. She was such a happy little girl. She sure seemed like it. I mean, even in the ones, you know, with filters and sparkles all over it, I kind of feel like she probably didn't even need the sparkles. She had her own. <laughs> <laughs> she was the sparkles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah, she's so sweet. Just unbelievable. And the relationship she and her sister had, you can tell just through the pictures that they, they just adored each other. They had such an amazing bond. Just to see sisters, siblings like that, you know, to watch their relationship was just amazing. You know, even even when they were just not happy with each other or fussing over a toy or, you know, it was just it was just so beautiful because the love that they're ha they had was so unmatched. How are they doing? Both of the kids, are they holding up okay? They're doing, yeah, they're doing good. You know, actually, they're they're doing pretty good. And you get to see them now? I do. I do. That's great. I'm really glad to hear that. You know, even still, you know, I do have a relationship with their mother. You know, she's very open and things happen and it was horrible and I was angry at first. And, you know, I have forgiven her. You know, that was her daughter, too. And, you know, she hurts terribly, terribly. Yeah, know, I'm sure. For Erica. Sure. And, you know, she mourns daily for her. And, you know, my son, you know, mourns daily for her. And I have two other grandchildren. And of course, I'm going to be there. And, you know, if she needs me or she needs anything for my grandchildren, whatever it is, I'm going to be there. You know, there is never a hesitation, you know, when it comes to my grandchildren. And it does take a village. And, and I am their village. I can't fault you for that, honestly. I'm sure she has a ton of regret and holding it over her head isn't going to help anyone. She she knows she made mistakes. Right. No, it doesn't, it doesn't help anyone. And my grandchildren love their mother. They absolutely adore her. And who am I to hold resentment and hatred and all that? That doesn't help anyone. That doesn't help my grandchildren. That doesn't help me. It doesn't help my son, my mother. You know, so you just got to continue to raise them in love and let them know that, you know, they have the love and support and we're all always here. Yeah, they're going to thrive from that. But they are doing good. She is amazing in school. She's amazing. Like, she's so smart. And she just continues to flourish and grow. And, you know, she still has her moments, you know, when she, you know, sees her sister picture. Or, you know, I can tell the pause in her. And it'll just, like, she'll space out for a minute. And then, you know, I'll love on her and, you know, redirect her to something else to, you know, so that she's not stuck in that moment. I'll pause here for one final word from my sponsors. When I heard the plea deal, it was like her life meant nothing. Yeah. And that's just the way that made me feel like her life meant nothing. 
like they have no idea how how we feel. They have no idea that we're going to carry that the rest of our life. And then you have everything that, you know, you have things all over that. Like I have things that remind me of her so much. And, you know, there's sunflowers everywhere. You know, it lights me up, but then it's bittersweet at the same time. You know, it, it makes me so happy to see the sunflower and so sad at the same time. Well, I went to visit her last weekend. Um, I'm going to go back. I've got to take her some stuff for Easter. And I sit and I talk to her. My son goes there. You know, he goes there later on in the evenings. And, you know, I can't imagine, you know, how he's feeling. I can't, you know, imagine walking away from there, you know, what's going through his head or because I know how I felt, you know, sitting there talking to her and then having to leave and I don't have my grandbaby. It's not fair. It's not fair. I saw you guys were able to get her a headstone, so that's wonderful. Oh, my gosh. My best friend, like, oh, my gosh. She just stepped in and, you know, and then she messaged me. She's like, I hope you're not going to be mad at me, but I did something. And I was like, what did you do? And just the outpour of love and support and, you know, to each and every individual that gave to the GoFundMe for her headstone. It is a beautiful headstone. It is absolutely beautiful. And when I did go visit her last weekend, it just broke my heart to how many children that are in baby land that do not have the headstones. And, you know, I wish that I could just put it and give a headstone to all of them. I think a lot of people underestimate how important that is. It hurts my heart to see it when there's nothing there. and They mattered. Their names mattered. Yes. Who they were matters. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I'm, I'm grateful to the people, you know, there are so many people that I didn't even know that donated to her, to her gravestone. And I was just blown away. There, there was so much love and support from social media that we didn't even get outside of that. I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful. And it does matter. It does. It gives you at least somewhere that you can go and feel like you're talking to her, even though she's with you all the time. It's a very symbolic sort of thing. Yes, I, I carry her with me every day, all day. I even, a picture of her, I have a necklace that I have not taken off that a dear friend of mine had made. It's just, it's so pretty and I can't even take it off. My coffee mug has a picture of her that, you know, my brother and my sister-in-law got for me. She's with me everywhere, in my car, in, in my home. And the last time, you know, I saw her, she was, my boyfriend, we, she was drawing on the wall and like we look at that all the time and whenever we move we're going to have it cut out that piece cut out and framed because we don't we don't want it touched <laughs> and, and you know and he's the only one Erica would walk for so I have videos of him teaching her how to walk and it's like he's the only one she would walk for <laughs> so she she loved her Boilo I can tell you that <laughs> and that's what they called him was Boilo Oh, you know, but yeah, I'm I'm just I'm truly blessed that we do stick together and we, you know, we are a family of love and, you know, affection and, you know, we display it and, you know, we tell each other we love each other every day, you know, for me, to my brothers, to my mom, to my dad, you know, my sons. So we're trying to, you know, take it one day at a time, one step at a time, one moment at a time. That's hard. Well, I'm so sorry that this happened. Of course, it never should have. And the way that you had to find out about it and the way that you had to learn about the plea deal, none of it's fair. And it just makes me so angry for you. But you are an amazingly strong person. And I'm just in awe of the way you're handling all of this and, and everything that you've done and keeping Erica's memory alive. It's just fantastic. So thank you for agreeing to talk with me and letting me help you keep her memory alive. 
Thank you. And and like I said, I, I, I truly thank you from the bottom of my heart from the support that you've also given and that you continue to give. It's my privilege. It really is. Thank you so much. Erica Kivon Marche Taylor was born on November 14, 2016. Her favorite color was yellow, and she loved sunflowers. At her funeral, her little white casket was covered in the bright yellow flowers. She was laid to rest in the Babyland section of Mount Olivet Cemetery in Fort Worth, Texas. I'd like to end this episode with a touching remembrance about Erica that her mom posted on Facebook in April of 2020. In the post, Angelica reminisced about Erica's third birthday, saying she had lost her job a few weeks before and was upset because all she could afford to buy Erica for her birthday was an outfit, some bath toys, and her favorite My Little Pony figure. She wrote, Before giving her her gifts, I was still upset because I couldn't do more for her, but when I did give her the gifts, she was so happy, she gave me a big hug. She was so dramatic, so she was like, OMG, I love it, you're the best, Mommy, with her little chipmunk voice. Such a beautiful, sweet, smart girl. I miss you so much, baby. I can't wait to see you again and feel them hugs and kisses again. Little baby pecs. I love you, Erica Taylor. Rest in peace, Erica. I'm sure you're making the heavens brighter with your smile and your built-in sparkle. My sources for this episode were the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Gabriel's Tree Facebook page, the Fort Worth Police Department Facebook page, Facebook, NBC DFW, the Texas Department of Public Safety website, the Tarrant County Jail website, and Andrea Cookie Harris. That's it for this week. Join me next week for another episode. If you like the show, please follow or subscribe to Suffer the Little Children on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Spreaker, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening app. And please leave me a five-star rating and a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. Visit the website at SufferTheLittleChildrenPod.com. You can support the show by visiting Patreon.com slash STLCPod, where you can become a patron for rewards ranging from a shout-out by name on the show to bonus content and exclusive gifts. You can also support the show at KO-FI.com slash STLCPod. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at SufferTheLittleChildrenPod and on TikTok at STLCPod. View photos related to today's episode on Facebook. For more stories like the one you heard today, visit SufferTheLittleChildrenBlog.com. This podcast is researched, written, hosted, edited, and produced by Lane. Intro theme music is by DreamNote Music, and all music for the show is licensed from AudioJungle.net. For more information about preventing or reporting child abuse, visit ChildHelp.org or call your area's child abuse hotline. And remember, if you see something, say something.